we think hearing from our listeners is the bee's knees. To that end, you can follow at High Files on Twitter, like the High Files on Facebook, or visit onyxedgestudios.com for all sorts of altered fun. Enjoy the show and spread the love. Last summer, I read a book, The uh, the Guns of August. Mm. I wish every man on that blockade line read that book. It's World War I. It's 13 million killed. It's all because the militaries of both alliances believed they were so highly attuned to one another's movements and dispositions, they could predict one another's intentions. But all the theories were based on the last war. And the world and technology had changed, and those lessons were no longer valid. But it was all they knew, so the orders went out. Couldn't be rescinded. And your man in the field, his family at home, they couldn't even tell you the reasons why their lives are being destroyed. But why couldn't they stop it? What could they have done? Here we are, 50 years later. I think one of their ships uh, resists the inspection. And we shoot out its rudder and board. They shoot down one of our planes in response. So we bombed their anti-aircraft sites in response to that. They attacked Berlin. So we invade Cuba. And they fire their missiles. And we fire ours. Whether you choose to picture it as a steel briefcase chained to the president's wrist, or as a flashing red square with yellow and black caution stripes around it, we all know about the button. It's a very real part of the world's post-Manhattan Project lexicon. If pushed, this button spells doom for the entire human race, no matter what you think it actually looks like. After all, you don't need to know what the button looks like to believe in its existence. But some of us have actually seen the button. And I'm one of those people. For the record, it's a trigger with a pistol grip, which is not how most of you probably envision the button. It's not what I pictured before I was able to see it. I know what it looks like because I used to spend six out of every 18 hours in a frigid electromechanical box called Missile Control Center, or MCC for short. And MCC was part of a frigid electromechanical tube known as a ballistic missile submarine. One of my jobs as a nuclear missile technician was to operate and supervise the launch panel, basically the spot that had the button. Clearly, we're not launching ICBMs regularly, so my responsibility for the most part was to keep the system free of abnormalities and emergencies, which is a very important and necessary job if one has a nuclear arsenal. 
but it also means that in the absence of technical problems and or emergency conditions, this gig was boring as fuck. To make matters worse, we were expected to be hyper-attentive to the system, prompting a repeated mantra from our superiors. Mind your fucking panel! Most behavior during six hours of launcher watch that wasn't directly related to me minding my fucking panel was verboten. You could not watch a movie. You could not listen to music. You could not talk excessively to other watchstanders. You could not eat. You could not use the bathroom. And so on, and so on, and so on. But bored sailors will push boundaries. One thing they did allow us to do was read technical manuals so that we could be experts on the nuclear weapon system. One day I pointed out to my chain of command that if reading was a sanctioned on-watch activity, then I could theoretically study my college textbooks on watch. There should be no problem. Their authoritative shout was emphatic. But not quite done yet, I retorted, Look, the activity doesn't change with the subject matter. If it's okay to read a technical manual, why is it not okay to read this? It's the same level of distraction, regardless of content, regardless of subject matter. What's the difference between the tech manual and studying higher education? (sighs) I won't repeat the words they used in their response, not even on this podcast. Some things are only for the deep, dark depths of the sea. But I will tell you my reply, which elicited still more backlash, but I'm glad I said it. I turned and looked at my undersea boss and simply stated, You can't stop me from daydreaming. With crossed arms, I went back to minding my fucking panel. My smartassery was well calculated. Technically, I was right. There was absolutely no way they could monitor, much less prove, whether or not I was daydreaming. But the joke was on me. I realized I barely even knew how to daydream anymore. I'd stopped that in life. I was a strapping young adult, after all, and childish things should be set aside in favor of work ethic and pragmatism. (laughs) First and foremost, daydreaming has to go. (laughs) But I had six hours that were only going to turn interesting if the apocalypse broke out. So why the hell not, I thought. I can intentionally daydream. I can revive that childhood skill. I can ride this old bike again. So I imagined. I daydreamed. I imagined first and foremost that I wasn't in the ocean. Instead, I imagined the environment I was sailing through was the vastness of outer space. And this ship was indeed a spaceship. With that simple thought, the blinky lights and LED readouts suddenly looked more fun and interesting. Then I imagined that the shipmate, seated to the left of me, was not a man at all, but an android, my first mate in this outer space journey, which made his quirkiness instantly more lovable rather than annoying. It was like everything I was seeing was with fresh eyes, even though I knew I was just make-believing, daydreaming in my head. Nothing changed, yet everything changed. At the time, I did not understand the relevancy of my willful daydreaming, 
nor could I see it as part of a larger picture of human experience. But some years later, I stumbled across an extremely useful codification of daydreaming and a framework of how to apply it to life. The document I found that prompted this new understanding was published in 1983 and is titled The Transrealist Manifesto. Tyler's not here. Tyler went away. Tyler's gone. Daydreaming is usually explained in a reductionist way, a simple consequence of our physiology. We lump it in with other faculties of the mind and therefore best describe such phenomena through the lens of psychology. But the Transrealist Manifesto examines the unstoppable and undetectable act of daydreaming through a much different lens, the lens of literature. But you don't have to take my word for it. Really, my, I guess my main, my heart is with the, the novels that I write. And these are science fiction novels, though perhaps not science fiction in the sense that you might usually think of. Um, originally, the f I was in the cyberpunk movement in the 1980s, and since then I started writing a uh, kind of science fiction that I call transrealism. And uh, transrealism, there's sort of two elements to it. It's the trans and the real. The real part is that uh, I write about people I know, and uh, I try to have realistic characters, and I write about scenes that are familiar to me. So a number of my novels are in fact set in Los Gatos. And the trans part is to go beyond ordinary reality, I add science fictional elements. And in a way, science fiction is not so different from fairy tales and something like uh, time travel. In a way, it stands for the idea of memory and nostalgia. Uh, aliens, in a way, represent just the notion of meeting other people and how very different they are from yourself. And telepathy is sort of a symbol of the, the hope that people might actually understand what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, and uh, I did another transreal novel, and this was called Saucer Wisdom. And this arose in a strange way. Wired Magazine wanted me to write a book of speculations about the future. For a short time, Wired was going to have a line of books. And I said, okay, I'll do that. And the reason I know what's going to happen in the future is because I have a friend who's a saucer nut. He's been abducted by UFOs many times. They've taken him to the future. He's seen the future, and he's told me, and I'm going to write it down. And uh, I had my college roommate happened to be visiting us at this point. And he's a sort of unsavory-looking character. That's his picture there. <laughs> and, and he said... Uh, Okay, I'll come to the meeting with you at Wired, and you can tell them that I'm your friend, the saucer nut. <laughs> so we went up to Wired, we did the pitch meeting, and, and Greg is there, and he talks a little bit, and he says, I just, I don't want to talk about it, I'm too tense, and he storms out. And the editors were like, you know. So they said, all right, we want to publish this book. <laughs> and even after I told them it was a hoax, they said, oh, that's all right, we'll tell... <laughs> We'll tell people it's true anyway. The man you just heard is Rudy Rucker, the author and champion of the Transrealist Manifesto. I would be remiss if I tried to come off as a student of Rucker's work, a follower of it, or even a fan. In fact, the only piece by Rucker I have read is the Transrealist Manifesto itself. 
So I'm no expert on the literary modality of transrealism. But that being said, my experience on the submarine falls in lockstep with transrealism as a concept, albeit in reverse. Instead of using life as fuel to spin a transreal yarn, I was using transrealism to alter the game of life itself. Far from being a pioneer, I am just a simple messenger. The real mental giants were hashing out these ideas while I was just a snot-nosed kid in junior high. Give a listen to how Terence McKenna, in a discussion with Rucker, expands the concept of transrealism and takes it a step out of the literary world. Rudy, what exactly is transrealism? Well, transrealism, the trans part is fantasy. The real part is your immediate perceptions. In creating a work of art, to make it transreal would be to write about your immediate perceptions in a fantastic way. Well, I think of it, it's a way of writing, and I see the three main elements. The first is to write about immediate perceptions in a fantastic way, to think of the things that you're happening as being science fiction adventure, perhaps, unbelievably strange, but yet they're the real things that happen to you. Another point in transrealism is that you tend not to know how the work is going to end, uh, such as one of my novels or this film. It's not clear how it's developing. The form is emerging organically. And if you could predict it, it wouldn't be truly alive. A third feature is to use immediate situations and immediate characters, because those are the most unpredictable. So it's like admitting the weirdness of ordinary existence, it sounds like. If the writer can predict the end of the book, so can the reader. The book can't be interesting. Is it simply a theory of writing? Why couldn't a person live this way? You can surely live in a transreal way. Is that schizophrenia? Hiller's not here. Hiller went away. Hiller's gone. It could be. <laughs> but there can be fun, fun madness, where you're, you're permuting the world. I, I used to be afraid to go to malls, and then I started believing my science fiction, and I pretended the mall was a mile under the surface of the moon, and many of the people there had brains that had been eaten by robotic plastic rats and then shopping became more enjoyable. I use this principle in the creation of science fiction. But it sounds like it could be a philosophy of life as well. That's an interesting point, Terence. You have a very active con man's mind. <laughs> Transrealism as a philosophy of life. Yes, your life is the supreme work of art, which you're creating as you go along. Everyone is an artist. Their work is their life. Pay attention to your immediate perceptions, take them seriously, but interpret them in a fantastic way. Well, as I experience life, it is fantastic. So really, this is a call to realism, to admit 
the presence of the cosmic giggle, to not suppress it in the name of some linear notion of, of plot or uh, uh, expectation of how reality should be. Is that so? I think so. I think the tools of science fiction are symbols. Transrealism as a philosophy of life. Huh. Isn't that how I used it on the submarine? High filers, I think we might be onto something here. But to avoid waxing intellectual for intellect's sake, we must temper ourselves by asking the question of relevancy. How relevant is the topic of transrealism in our lives during the age in which we live? After all, there's so many things we could explore. Why this? Is it relevant? I submit to you that few topics could be more relevant. Reason being, McKenna and Rucker discussed using this modality as a matter of choice, not a matter of course. But it is a matter of course. Transrealism lays smack dab in the current trajectory of technology, augmented reality, and virtual reality are poised to become as ubiquitous as television and laptop computers. Your life is going to become transreal whether you like it or not. You will see things you cannot touch. You will hear things you cannot see. But the real question is, will the fictional elements injected into your life come from your vision? Or will they be injected into your face by a licensed product? Perhaps a licensed Nintendo product. Oh, Pokemon Go. Oh my god. <laughs> I love Pokemon Go. I was playing this 20 minutes ago. I was at Santa Monica Pier last night playing this. Let's go. Everyone everywhere is playing this game. It's an addicting game. I mean, I'm not addicted. I haven't played it yet. This game is so much fun. I'm so addicted. Oh, he got a side up. That's not fair. It's a very cool concept. Oh my gosh. I have mixed feelings about this. Folks, augmented reality is here. It's on the street corners and in the headlines. It's in your children's hands. But with McKenna gone, who can answer the philosophical implications of a seemingly innocuous game like Pokemon Go? Fear not, high filers, for the sage we seek is none other than my old childhood friend and the most transreal person I know, Anthony J. Heeman. Tony is a computer programmer and graduate of the University of Missouri, an avid video gamer and all-around free thinker. So join me, won't you, as Tony and I sit down, get buzzed, and dare I say, wax intellectual with regard to AR transrealism, and the Tao of Pokemon Go. Strap in, High Filers. This is an incredible journey. The High Files podcast must issue the following caution prior to the scheduled interview. Although your host has known Tony Heeman for many years, he has never been able to fully confirm that Tony is not, indeed, a robot or other cybernetic life form. Please keep in mind. The thoughts and opinions you are about to hear may be generated by an artificially intelligent operating system designed to make Tony appear to be a warm-blooded human being.
So we avoided the topic of Pokemon Go so that we could talk about it now. So I was hoping to bring it up with you, and then you mentioned the fact that you have played it. So can yeah. you tell me, as a layperson, what's the deal? Okay, so from the most top-level view, like as a random spectator watching what's going on around it, uh, Pokemon Go, it's a cell phone-based game, generally speaking, that looks at your GPS coordinates to determine where you are. Based on where you are, it determines what Pokemon, which is, you know, randomly generated creatures between, like, there's, like, 151 of them in the starter set. There's more that will be added later. Uh, it, and it decides, like, is there any of these things within a certain range of you? And if it's in range of you, it's also in range of anyone else. Like, like if it, it takes up a real-world coordinate. So it uses GPS to plant a goodie at a physical location because it's using Latin long... Yeah, it, it is. It is looking at the concept. Oh, yeah, it's looking at the. It has a whole map of the whole world. I don't know how they actually have it stored. They could store it many ways. They might not need an actual whole map, uh, but they basically have a certain amount of data that says that uh, certain Pokemon are in certain spots at certain times. They last for between like fifteen minutes and forty-five minutes uh, at that location. Like, there's some randomness around that. There's some debates about the specifics about those mechanics, but mm-hmm. but, but essentially. Like, so, at the park, at the corner of the of where the street turns or something, there might be a specific Pokemon there right now. So, can you tell me about the user interface, then? How, as a person, let's say it's a 12-year-old boy with a phone. Alright, so, let's say you've logged in. You've, um, you've gone through the process of creating an account, let's assume, which, you know, has usual username, password stuff. Right. Uh, at that point, to you, as with a general cell phone, it seems, uh pretty much like it just looks at what your location is currently like it looks up your gps coordinates you have Mm -hmm. to allow it to look at that and then it says oh i'm at location xy based on your lattice and longitude and then it just basically shows like a 3d interface for here are the things that are near you and where their relative positions are to you now is this on an abstracted bird's eye view map that you're looking at it um, so I could show you the map, but it is, it's like a 3D interface, bird's eye view map-ish. It's, it's like angled slightly. Like, it's based around where your character is looking. Yeah. Uh, right. and it's backed out a little bit, so like, it'll look 70 feet behind you towards everything around you, and you'll see, and you can rotate it around if you want. Well, it's interesting that you said your character, but in a sense, it's not your character, it's you, right? Because you have to physically be there. Well... Yeah. So, so you um, may have this avatar or this stat. This this may get more complicated as we get further into okay. this discussion. <laughs> but uh, the standard perspective on what they think that you will have, yes, it would be you. Mm-hmm. It would be you and your phone. If I threw my phone 10 feet away from me, it would be wherever my phone is. Yes, I got you. Yeah. That uh, and if I were to spoof my location via a third-party like uh, piece of equipment that says that emulates a cell phone at a different position... Hold on, so now you are kind of hopping in space. Yeah, no, that, that. that has happened. Yeah, yeah that has literally happened in the game. So it's almost like you've got this real-world game, and then there's these warlocks <laughs> because they're just jumping from place to place. And if you're trying to play the game legit by its rules, it seems... No, that is, that like has literally these happened. Super entities playing the so, game with you. So as well. okay, so below that, the first level of abstraction. Uh, in terms of people in, uh, creating uh, UIs that are not the game's UI, people have created scanners mm-hmm. to 
look around you, look within, like, a much larger range than the game gives you. Like, let's say I want to look within a mile of me, which is a huge amount of territory. What it'll do is it'll spawn a whole lot of individual characters that all are within, you know, like, to, to fill out the radius. They'll fill out enough characters so that they can detect everything within the radius around you. Hold on, hold on. Isn't there, uh, did you ever see Twister? Like, the game? No, the movie. No, definitely not. So the idea in Twister the movie was that in order to map the internals of a tornado, what they would do instead of aiming sensors at it is they wanted to deploy a unit inside the tornado that when the tornado hit it, it would release a whole bunch of smaller instruments that were all duplicates. They all measured the same shit. Yeah, except these are not physical. Well, I know that, but as they got dispersed throughout the tornado, them all being their own individual measurement units would give you a three-dimensional picture of the entire tornado. So you're saying they're spoofing real people so that they can shoot them out like a scatter bomb, but that gives them a picture, a wider picture of where Pokemon are. Yeah, yeah, because, absolutely. That, okay. that that is. Uh, I mean, you're going, you're making it more difficult than it actually is. But yes, right, yeah, they yeah. are. And they might use one bot multiple times for multiple positions to, to do it over a certain circumstance. But the idea is, I gather information around me beyond what the game provides me with specifically to my cell phone. So it's a third-party application that is providing the information about areas around me that, that I don't have otherwise. Mm-hmm. And so the game, a couple of weeks ago, didn't even have a vaguely functioning uh, like like a direction for you. Like... Something might be near you, but it might be really fucking far away, and it might be in a direction that you can't even go, and you wouldn't know. Whereas, so these apps would tell you, oh, there's a Venusaur uh, behind the shed over here, uh, (laughs) near where I live. Like, the shed near where I live is awesome for spawning Pokemon. It spawns all the highest level stuff in my neighborhood for some reason. That's funny. (laughs) I mean, I go behind the shed looking for Pokemon on a regular basis. It might be weird. So that, that is but what they're is. there. Yeah, they are there. And and uh, that happens. Now, um, how do you capture one? So well, you have so, to, what, physically walk out there? Now, do you hold up your phone and suddenly it merges the real world with the Pokemon? Uh, this is kind of obfuscated to some degree. You can turn on what's called AR mode, mm-hmm. augmented reality mode. That's what I want to talk about. Where it puts it in <laughs> a specific location in the real world. And at a particular, like, height depth from where you are, to some degree. So that it's not halfway underground. Yeah. But the mechanics for this are a little bit weird. They're a little bit sketchy to some degree, because... So you can turn off AR mode, and then it is, no matter where I face my phone, it's always in the same place on my phone, which makes it much easier to hit. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the time. But Or I can turn on AR mode, and then it is in a particular direction relative to my and you phone. you have to turn your real body, then. You do. Yeah. Uh, although this works to some degrees well and some degrees poorly, depending on a whole bunch of different circumstances. Like, uh, flying Pokemon are generally harder to hit. Some Pokemon have smaller hitboxes and other things. Um, do you just have to tap them to catch them? No, what you do is you take a ball on your phone and you do, like, a swiping mechanism to, like, to throw the ball. Wow. Depending on how how fast and how far you move with your finger before you lift off. It, to the arc. Yeah, it, it gives yeah. it it gives it certain things. And then curving the ball gives you more experience points. And then hitting it more in the center when like there's a certain like reducing area you can hit it on. If you hit it during the reduction is at its lowest, you'll get an excellent throw. Which literally doubles your experience reward for the game. And that's another mechanic that we'll talk about at some point, but Well it sounds like the AR mode provides more game mechanics. 
it does and it doesn't. It's poor in some cases. Like, sometimes people have had things show up upside down. Some people have had things uh, show up in places that make it way the fuck impossible to interact with. As much as the... Because the AR is not real, like, augmented reality or virtual reality about things. It's sort of a placebo for it's it. It's a cheat. Yeah, it is a cheat. It is, yeah. it is... I'm taking an image of the area around me, and I am... Uh, Putting this in a place where then if I move the phone to the left, the creature is going to be more to the right. Move the phone to the right, the creature is more to the left. Like, and whatever. Like, it's it's moving around so that you have to, like, you can use the phone's position to your advantage. Like, against certain things, I find that without AR mode, I can't hit them at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it thinks I need to throw it farther than my cell phone will let me throw it. Now, you as somebody who, beyond just plays Pokemon, but you have a very good understanding of software development and things like that. Could you explain to somebody, if they're listening to this and they don't know what AR is, could you explain what it is? Yeah, um, to like some level. Like as a level. concept? Yeah, generally speaking, uh, the words are augmented reality, and that means that we are looking at something that is in reality, and we are putting a uh, augmented layer over it, depending on what that is. Like, it might not be 3D, it might not be, like, uh, based on latitude and longitude, but, like, for example, uh, we could do an AR thing in the living room, mm-hmm. and we could literally say that there are, like, zombies in the living room, and you gotta right. defend yourself from them. And so, if you had, uh, let's say, for example, you had a game that looked at your whole room, decided how big it was, decided how many zombies you could fight and off with that territory. You'd have to have a camera to assess Well, that, camera's probably. A-way. Yeah. There are multiple, you yeah you, there's a whole lot of ways you could make an augmented reality thing. You could do Cameras are the most ubiquitous. Uh, they are not necessarily mandatory. Like, we could do it off of, like, just... Uh, we could do it off of, like, hardware sensors for direction and angle of things and, mm-hmm. like, decide that, like, your room is only X by Y coordinates from you and decide that, hey, so level one difficulty is you fight off one zombie in a room this size. Level 10 difficulties, you fight off 50 zombies in this room, and maybe, right. like, what that requires for you and other things. But augmented reality is basically saying uh, something is... Uh, it, it's somewhat related to reality. It is, ver- it is virtually changing your reality to some degree. So, there could be AR games that are, that are relatively innocuous. Like, like, let's say that I'm a taxi driver. Mm-hmm. Let's say that I am delivering people from point to point. There could be an AR game that rewards me because I travel so far and visit all these cool locations and I get a whole bunch of bonuses, and that's fine. That would be augmented reality. As much as I, maybe I didn't change anything. Maybe I just literally reward people for doing it for... Doing for, what they would have done anyway. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So augmented reality could have very little change on how you interact with it. Well, I was thinking on the way here, I needed directions and I was using my phone's GPS and it had the map on my phone, you know. Um, but that was still contained within its own realm, and I was in my own realm. But it was showing me on a virtual map where the blue line I needed to follow was. Now, if I could have taken that blue line without the map and put it on the real road, that would have been augmented reality, right? Because I'm seeing yeah, something that's virtual and something that's, that's a part real of and mashing them together. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely a part of it. So, for example, if we could if we could take all of your Google GPS for your phone, and we could just like if you're if you're actual, um, let's say you had a Google Glass of your eyes, or let's say that your windshield, windshield actually yeah. had 
some crazy mechanic with it that actually displayed things that augmented your view. That would be augmented reality in, in the sense of how it's currently used. Now, the difference um, between that and virtual reality is virtual reality completely does away with any of the real. Yeah. And replaces yeah. So it. let's say I put a headset over myself while I play a video game, and my body turns off entirely, and I never move. I never do anything physically. But, uh, but my brain exists within an entirely different world. And let's say I play a role-playing game. Let's say that I become the hero of New Earth or whatever. Mm -hmm. I fucking... I kill the awful dragon of whatever. I never actually move in the real world. I never actually do anything in the real world. It has no correspondence to the real world. But uh, I lived an entire life within that, like, or whatever. Yeah. That would be virtual. That would be a virtual reality. Like, in, in the usual sense. Like, these words could all mean a lot of different things in a lot of different circumstances. That's true, and it's based on interpretation. But it sounds like the difference between virtual reality is you are supplanting real reality for a moment in time and going and spending time in a different world, whereas augmented reality is you're blending. Yeah, yeah. That, that's probably right. Well, I've become, and one of the reasons I want to talk to you about this, I've become super fascinated with the concept of augmented reality, I think over virtual, virtual reality, even though I think virtual reality is going to make its leaps and bounds, I think augmented reality is the key, and the thing I've been studying to that end is a phenomenon called transrealism. Have you ever heard of that? Yeah, I think I have. I subscribe to some... Some views around some certain kinds of things related to that, yeah. Oh, well, good. I'm glad we're talking about this. So, when it comes to transrealism, I knew what it was before I knew it had a name. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. I, then I heard this very interesting, really small anecdote where somebody goes, can you use transrealism as a philosophy to live your life? But transrealism and augmented reality, in my opinion, are very much the same vein, and you've got... Hundreds of thousands of kids running around right now living a trans real life. What do you yeah. think about that? I think more about them than we'd ever cover in a podcast. Well, uh, we, let's talk about it, man. Well, so at the most vague level, uh, let, let, all right, I'm going to go with the easiest argument and the easiest things around this. I think somebody that thinks that uh, trans real existence can never happen, like they think that's that's an idiotic concept. They're fooling themselves. They don't actually realize that most people are actually living already a, almost a analog mm -hmm. to this, Absolutely. like day to day. Like like a lot of people live in worlds where they've they've cut their corners. They've decided what things they want to focus on, whether it's political views or uh, like like any sort of like science or whatever. They've cut themselves off from thinking other things, and they've they've created their own sort of trans real society. Like like they've decided that. Like, these things are real. These things are actually, like, let's say, like, global warming or something. Like, I can decide it's not that hot out today or whatever. Like, You've I can opt it out from, quote-unquote, consensus reality at this point. Yeah, yeah, or even real reality to some degree. Like, like I've ignored circumstances around things that uh, are, are objectively verifiable to one degree or another. You can fight about it. You can have an argument for it. It's the Matrix. There is no spoon. Yeah. Do not try and bend the spoon. That's impossible. Instead, only try to realize the truth. What truth? There is no spoon. There is no spoon? Then you'll see that it is not the spoon that bends. It is only yourself. Yeah, there is... Yeah, yeah um... 
on that subject, I think that anybody that denies that people won't move towards uh, even more verification of false realities is uh, they're they're not really paying attention. They think that will never happen. Like it will happen. Oh, maybe I agree. only some people will do it, but. There are there's a subset of people that could perhaps let's say do a very good job at whatever they're doing, with sort of like a, a placebo effect, like a sort of trans real existence around what they're doing. Like, and I mean it's awful. It's it's possibly slavery. It could be abused to a whole lot of degrees. I definitely think it's something that could tilt one way or the other. But I kind of wanted to focus on it being positive because. I think if you think of a negative impact, a positive impact, and a neutral, Pokemon Go is the neutral. It's people out there it's just neutral. fucking pissing away their time. It, well, you know yeah, I mean? and, it, and so I can define positive results from it. Okay, so, like, I've done more physical activity because of it than I would otherwise have. Ah, but now listen to this. Isn't that funny? Because here's the thing about transrealism as a philosophy of life. That make-believe reality, if you want to call it that, through transrealism or through augmented reality, you've blended it with your real reality, except that the AR aspect of it has had real-world implications. So yeah, is yeah. it? Which one's real? Have you read uh, the recent novelization, uh, Ready Player One? I have heard so many good things about it, but I have not read it yet. I mean, some of it's garbage. I, I, yeah. you, you suddenly talk positively about it. Well, some of it's, it's garbage. But it's it has to have a good, lot of 80s good, pop references. It does. It does. Oh my god! Though Asarak is a main character to some degree. Like, uh, there's very good parts about it. So it's a novelization of a story of a guy who lives in an augmented reality world. He mm-hmm. lives in the slums of slums, and he manages to go to school because now that we have slums of slums uh, and ubiquitous internet technology to interface with, you can be in the shittiest part of the world and, and receive like the best. King. You yeah. can you can receive the best education possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he goes to a school. And By the way, that's coming. I mean, I it is. Yeah. Well, let's let's have that fight later because it's super technical and depends on a whole lot of investments in technology. And well, infrastructure it, it depends in the world. on. Uh, it could end up as a dystopia or a utopia, depending entirely on who is in charge and what is going on around. But don't it, you but, see? That's what we were talking about. It could be negative or positive. And yes, you're right. And at every level of this augmented reality trans real problem, we don't know which way the scales are going to tip. Isn't that scary? No, it doesn't scare me at all. Uh, I'm used to being terrified about all existence. I've learned to not give a fuck. Uh, I mean, kill me today, kill Bravo. me tomorrow, I don't care. But uh, So the, the novel is based upon a character who is fairly intelligent relative to his setting, whether that's good or bad, mm-hmm. uh, who discovers the Easter eggs hidden by the game developer that allows him to figure out things and become a super celebrity of other things. Um, while going, but, but so going back a step, his education in theory is shared among all people. Like they all have access to it. Anyone can opt out of the traditional school system and go to a virtual school that's shared by all those students. And um, I mean, I would bet that even now, today, uh, well done online courses could be better for some subset of students. I'm yeah. not going to say it's going to be the majority. I'm not going to say it made any arguments about that. But, like, there are some people that just have shitty schools they can go to. Or, if you were to provide them, if they have an adequate internet connection with the ability to share public lectures or pre-recorded lectures, that'd be awesome. But anyway, Well, I think at the, at the foreground of that, though, I think the foreground of where that research is is for uh, 
people in children's hospitals, kids in children's hospitals. Oh, for sure, yeah. That can't, if, if anybody's interested in that, that yeah, that's a golden opportunity that, that no one, no one's going to shoot down the idea of, hey, kid is sick, has cancer, circumstances suck, but I'm going to give him both a like like the, what's really cool about this in a uh, virtual reality sense is I'm gonna give him a virtual classroom. He's gonna have virtual friends they can interact with. I'm gonna have virtual people. And those could be other kids in other children's hospitals, or yeah, they could be yeah, other or they could be other kids. normal kids. Yeah. Uh, this subject, as much as uh, a particular series has been lamented because it's awful in general, but Sword Art Online actually had an arc. Uh, it's an anime now. It was a light novel before. The author was not that great at the beginning, and there's a whole lot of people that think he's awful, but he has gotten a little bit better over the years, and he has tried to do a little bit better work with his, his own ideas, but he did have an entire story arc around that. There was a girl that was inflicted with AIDS, which, for some weird reason, super science made way worse than it should be, and so she was super isolated, and her only interaction was, was with other terminal children. Mm-hmm. And uh, she lived within a world of this kind of environment, this kind of virtual environment, and did well. And I don't know, so, so we talk about this to some degree in science fiction and other stuff. Um, let's go back a bit, though. Uh, yeah, we kind of went down the... I think we started with the positive-negative, how it could lean either way, and how Pokemon Go might be neutral. But you started to say it was positive because you started exercising, getting around, walking more. I mean, I, I did. Uh, it only lasted so long because the game was only so interesting. But I did physically go out and go out to parks... I specifically went to parks I wouldn't otherwise go to because there's better parks to go to like right here. Mm-hmm. As far as physical exercise and like just going around, they're, they're better places to be. But there's other parks in town I went to because there were Pokemon nests, which is <laughs> a particular Pokemon spawns in this park. Yeah. And I went to those and I farmed those Pokemon. Like I wanted to catch all of them and I catch enough of them that allowed me to evolve one of the better versions of that Pokemon, like the next step in its evolution. Like, it motivated me to go and put a lot of effort I wouldn't otherwise have put into to go into those places. And some of those places were nice. Some of the work worked pretty well. Um, Well, it reminds me of leveling up in Final Fantasy, how sometimes you had to just walk around the map until a random encounter, you know? Yeah. But now you're doing something similar, except it has bled over into the real world. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? I think all of that was fun, and all of that was rewarding, and I would like more of that, but the game has a uh, a, a problem in that the particular game that exists right now is not that interesting of a game beyond this, like... Because what do you do with the Pokemon after you catch them? Yeah. Is it- so, okay, all right, well, I, I'll tell you, the, the best you can do is there are gyms. So, for example, there's a gym roughly 200 feet behind you, Jordan. No, I don't uh, see it. But yeah, I you can't you. see it. It's not real, but. Uh, it's augmented. Yeah. Real. <laughs> but it's around there. And so, this is like my neighborhood gym. This is where me and my friends, my roommate, whatever, and other people from around town can all fight over this particular location. And whoever holds it gets 10 cents worth of coins once per day. Mm-hmm. Uh, as irrelevant as that is. And that's the only way to have conflict with other players, and that's also the only way to make anything about your Pokemon interesting other than catching all of them. So you can't just run run up and throw the smackdown on somebody and fight them for no reason? You have to be conflicted over a gym? Gyms are the, yeah, are the point for that. Okay. If somebody were to choose to hold gyms, you could choose to fight them over it. But a large part of the game currently is based on stats, which are... Entirely based on who grinded the most. So it's kind of like a 
one of those kids that collects baseball cards, and the cards in and of themselves don't do anything, but the amount of cards and the rare cards and the special coolness of the cards is what makes it fun to have the cards. Yeah, absolutely. It's along those lines. Um, To take that one level further, it is literally a copy of a whole lot of games that exist that are cell phone games that are based on making money off of people. Um, Like, like off of free-to-play games, how do I make more money off of my user base as opposed to skill-based anything? Like, skill... Skill in this game could exist to some degree. It's like a turn-based... Like, at best, it would be a turn-based game. It would be a turn-based tactical game. And you could make it where there were sufficiently complicated problems that it took skill to solve. But that doesn't exist. Right now, it's very solvable. They are very simple problems. And it's not about your ability to play it so much as how much time you have played. If I've played twice as much time as you, I probably have slightly better stuff than you. Now, that said... To remove a certain aspect, twice as much time is not twice as much stats. No, for, I got you. Yeah, yeah. For good sense. or evil, it takes ten times as much time to have twice as much stats, relatively speaking. So I'm extremely intrigued by the whole you hold up your phone and now you see something that both is there and not there. Because I think that up to this point, most of what we've done with our phone is view it just like a TV screen. Sure. We're, you know, in isolation, we're viewing all this stuff that's not there, and we know that it's separate from our world. But when you start mixing those together in the augmented reality, do you think that there's room for the development of apps that apply this to your real life, not in a game function, although it's all games, we could talk about that, but not in a game function that aid you in real life, and now hasn't that become some sort of philosophical water where... Is a trans real life better than a real real life? Okay, you asked a couple questions there. Yeah, so um, we can dial it back if we need to. Yeah, alright. So, I'll address in order what I can think of from what you've said. So, first of all, um, as far as the games go, the current Pokemon game go is not that good about the aspect you first talked about as far as holding up your phone right. in order to interact with reality. It's sort of obfuscated. The logic for it is a little bit awkward. But I see this as an earmark of potential. It is. And that's literally what they tried to sell it on in their cinematic views. Like their videos about, here's what the game does. Right, yeah. But that is not actually what the game has been good at. Um, The the real world thing, at best you get really funny looking screenshots to then share on the internet to generate karma on Reddit or some (laughs) other thing. And that's fine. But that it's really low value. They haven't really like bridged that gap. There are other things that are claiming to be able to bridge that gap on a more complicated level of uh, what the potential for that could be. I think it's very, very, very high and terrifying to, to one degree or another. And that's what I wanted to talk about. So let's say you were able to hold up your phone right now. Sure. And you hold it up, and let's say your phone had a temperature and an infrared sensor on it. Sure. So when you hold it up, you see me. You see your couch, you see your walls, but you can also see the a visual representation of how fast my heart is beating. Sure. Based on what you're reading. But you see that as in, let's say it's a color. You can see the color of my skin changes from blue to orange to red to fluorescent yellow based on how fast my heart is beating. Now you've augmented your reality, but haven't you seen more of reality than you saw without 
uh, the augmented reality. All right, so I'm gonna go philosophy for, uh, That's for a minute. What, yeah. What you see with your eyes is one piece of the equation. It always will be. Whether mm -hmm. it's a color spectrum of the heartbeat of whatever, or your physical coloration, or third parties of whatever. Whatever it happens to be that you happen to observe, you don't necessarily understand anything transcendental of it. You don't necessarily understand the underlying facets of it. No, you um, don't know why my heart beats faster. Yeah, I don't. You just know that it's faster. Yeah, and, and that might be more information. The yeah. same as if there was a numerical display while I'm looking at you, like that just said what well, your heartbeat was. Yeah, we could do that too. Yeah, yeah, it could yeah. be floating out to my right. right and all that sounds incredibly useful as long as it's applicable to whatever we're doing. As long as it's accurate to some degree. Yeah, well, um, that, that's where we tip into the it can be used for negative or positive. Because you could sit there and you could see my readout and go, oh, my posture in this conversation is making him maybe yeah. angry. I'm going to dial it back. Or you could think, I really got him on the ropes now. <laughs> I, now I go in for his jugular. You know, The second we start to talk about whether something is good or bad, bad about that particular te piece of technology, we have to evaluate why we're evaluating it. So, for well, example, think... shut up. Uh, <laughs> I think it's because it's coming. That's why I want I mean, it probably is coming. Yeah. Uh, there are going to be cases in the near future, probably, where there's more biological information about you than you actually understand about yourself. That's that's pretty likely. But in the sense of if I've, I've judged your heartbeat and so I've realized you're lying to me even though your facial expressions and whatever to my biological clock, my, my biological observations are, oh, you're telling the truth. Like, that that's an interesting argument. And at the end of the day, I am pro more information. Well, here's the thing, though, is you could still interpret that data wrong. I could. Whether you had more or less. You could still come to the, and wrong, the, machine the could. same wrong conclusion. And what's wrong for you might not be wrong for me and vice versa. Well, okay, so... So let's talk about whether we're talking about objectively right or wrong things, like uh, or versus subjectively right or well, wrong. Well, I don't things. think there is such thing as objective right or wrong things. I think there's things that people agree upon for the most. There part. are definitely objectively right or wrong things in uh, in the concept of whether or not truth or or not. Now, whether they apply to us as human beings may or not be false, but I think that you can definitely say that there exists the concept of something being true or false. Yeah, I agree with that. I think, uh, but value statements. We mostly deal in the subjective. I will agree yeah. with that. But if you define a system that is defined by 1 plus 1 equals 2, and you define 1 plus 1 equals 3, you are incorrect because the definition of the system is... Well, that's what makes mathematics so beautiful, is because you... Or you a whole lot of it. systems around that yeah. um, that people don't actually think about, but... Well, everything mathematics is is a description of other stuff. Now, what validates mathematics is uh, whether or not it ends up being true relative to our real world, but... Um, well, I think true in the case of what you're saying means reproducible. No, that's not... Yeah, that's science. That's yeah. not what I'm talking about, but yes, that science is about reproducibility and uh, verifiability, whether... Or falsifiability is actually one of the most important concepts. That's true. Can I, can I disprove something? And if I can, <laughs> if I can present an argument that shows a particular case and shows that your argument is false during that case, that is falsifiability and allows me to prove that your particular theory is wrong, but not necessarily that your evidence was wrong. Right, like you yeah, have I gotcha. Yeah, so the data holds, but what... Yeah, you might, have, you might have done particularly correct data and analysis, but it might not prove the point you particularly postulated because I can make an argument that shows 
where your your particular postulate is false. The second I can show one false positive, yeah. and everyone else can confirm it, like not just me, one single positive, but like everyone that does this experiment shows that your theory is false, that makes it false. I am literally a priest of science that is just enacting rituals that were created by people much smarter than me. Every day, all day. That's You got a good point there. You're, you're executing doctrine. Yeah, I am, without fully understanding all of it. Yeah. I mean, I, it's verifiable in the sense of, like, every time I've ever turned the light switch on, it's worked unless there was something that I could obviously see that was wrong with the light switch. But <laughs> I don't necessarily truly understand every reaction that has happened along the way. I didn't know how actually somebody made the copper wires that were made to make... Right. Yeah, yeah like, there's, there's a whole lot of things involved. And we definitely do not usually comprehend. There may be people. We may have some cool friends, some mm-hmm. cool people out there that do understand everything involved from the power plant burning coal to burning generator. Into well, they can't even agree on how the electrons are passed. They don't know if it happens in a sequence or all at once. I don't know about that argument. I've never touched that. I'd have to look into it further. I might have read an old textbook. But you see what I'm saying? They're like, does it go in a chain reaction? Or do, do they all go all at once because the flow of electricity means that an extra electron was passed down the wire did that happen because it happened so fucking fast basically the speed of light or dare i say fast fast. very very fast but they don't know is it very very fast or does it just happen all at once actually uh tangential to that subject um i recently was dealing with the the fact that dsl cables which are just copper wires passing sound yeah are very 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 fast They're super fast. They're super fast. And so, as much as we talk about how much fiber optic cable is faster, fiber optic cable is faster for a different subset of reasons. It has less impedance. Yeah. Yeah, it has a whole lot of things going on. They make it faster for transporting a whole lot of bandwidth. But relative to our ability to discern information, it's not that much faster than transporting electrons across copper wire to talk about in terms of actual speed over a distance. Well, the funny thing about bandwidth is it has nothing to do with the medium. It's how fast you can turn off and on your signal, isn't it? Isn't it? I mean, part of it. Frequency? Well, to some degree. Depends on what you want to do. Um, Well, frequency is the generating part, and... The medium that you're transmitting across, the impedance, is the destructive component of it. So if yeah. you have less destructive, less destruction, it looks like more creation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but bandwidth is just literally how much can I push across this thing. Like, so me throwing a very high-volume SSD to you across this two-foot distance may be physically faster than somebody sending things across fiber optic cable. That's obvious, <laughs> I love right? that. I love that picture you just put in my head. Well, I mean, it is. <laughs> yeah. So I threw you, let's say, let's say, let's say I fucking threw a brick. Let's say yeah. I threw a fucking 50 or 100 or 1,000 terabyte brick. I threw a petabyte brick at you. <laughs> you caught it. The, the you bandwidth, have yeah. The bandwidth of that is incredible. The ping of that is fucking garbage. Because, <laughs> like, it took two seconds for it to fly to you, and then you had to plug it into a machine. And, yeah. And, and then you had to, like, translate all of it and whatever. Like, uh, I mean... I mean, people have literally flown drives across the nation because it's cheaper we and do, more efficient. We do it. And we did it from Australia at my job. We it was easy, it was cheaper to pack up and ship a bunch of high density drives. Yeah, yeah. Those fucking micro drives can hold a whole fucking ton. Mm-hmm. So going back to trans real being life. So I wanted to think about this augmented reality. I remember 
when I was a kid, and you lived very close to me, and I'm sure you spent some time out, out of doors, even though you were a video game con- connoisseur, you were probably outside once or twice, right? I mean, when forced. Huh? I mean, Jacob Begeman threw an axe at me at one point, that's, that's what I remember. Nice. <laughs> did you ever just go play in your backyard by yourself? Yeah, I was crazy. What did you, what kind of stuff did you play? So I put a shield on, made out of like a pumpkin-shaped thing, uh-huh. and I uh, held a uh, weed that stuck out of the ground, and talked about being like a weed person to people. <laughs> My neighbors thought this was weird, because they understood that I apparently had been informed by the drug use of my parents to think, like, weed's the most important thing in the world. Oh, and, uh, that I see, where they did their context, yeah, they yeah. injected their context into that. Yeah, but I was like, I was, I'm protecting the weed. I'm the, I'm the <laughs> pumpkin knight of the... No, I like... So, d- my question is, when you were... Ha- so you had the weed and you had your thing that looked like a shield, but in your mind's eye, were you picturing more than was really there? Not then. I have in other times. But okay, can you tell me about one of those? Well, whenever me and Mark used to play our role-playing game and whatnot, like, uh, I was the GM. I was the person running the game, and, uh, I had to, whether I fully was cognizant of it, like, in a picturesque way or otherwise, I had to understand the world that, uh, me and my friend Mark were playing in. I had to understand that he was the hero, and I was the person providing every other character, whether good guy, bad guy, princess, anything else. Like, I had to represent all of those things. So I held all of them in my head. Mm-hmm. The same way, you know, like... like you say you had a cast of characters. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I held in my head a vision of a world around what we were doing. And some of it might take place on this segment of carpet and some on this other segment of carpet or whatever. And that helped you with executing the game, though, right? Well, yeah, probably. Yeah, um, yeah if you could not cognizate some other universe than the one you were experiencing... There is no way you could ever do role-playing fantasy fiction. Yeah, I think where the difference in... There's an essay about transrealism is they say there is a different... Or there's a level of imagination that occurs that once you go past a certain level, you're not transreal anymore. You're just in imagination land, right? It's an interesting argument. Yeah, and they say then there's a, a... If you dial it back the other way, you can go too far and it's pretty much just the real world with a little tiny piece of something uh, this is there. a weird speculative argument where we're trying to make definitions about what the difference no I, well i'm quoting a specific essay there was this essay called the trans real manifesto or something like that. sure sure but it, it's to define the term trans real because you don't need it sure. if it's if non-real and real suffice to describe everything you don't need trans real but this person was arguing that you do need it so i mean non-real and real are sufficient definitions to one degree he wants another definition to define some subset between those two. Well, and it was born out of a literary genre. He was trying okay. to say you have science fiction, which is completely in another land, with qualities of the human experience that occur in the story. Or you have something that's set in the real world, which is literary fiction, which just all plays out in the real world with all real mechanisms. The only thing that's fictional is the actual events and characters themselves. What he's saying transreal is, is when you throw out the fantastical as elements of the plot and story, but you bring in the fantastical to highlight or illustrate points about the real world. 
So I have to read whatever you're talking about. I'll send it to you when we're done with this. Because uh, I can't understand uh, what the goal of this person is as far as definitions go and separations go as far as what they're trying to make happen. What he's trying to say is that literary fiction has gone as about as far as it can go of what we need it to do right now. And that That's a weird argument. And that, well, this is only how I understand it. Please yeah, yeah. get that too. And that certain branches of science fiction and fantasy are too niche for the literary movement to accomplish anything over a long period of time. Ah, uh, but what do we want to accomplish? Who, what is the goal? Like, What is the goal of anything we do? What's the goal yeah, of Yeah, sure, let's be cunty like that. Uh, well, I mean, in literature, what's the goal? The goal is to sing of the human experience. That's so, a goal. If I can't transmit to my audience my voice of what I'm trying to say, then I've failed. Uh, now, they could still get, no, not necessarily. They could, but, I have failed from my point of view. Okay, if I'm yeah, trying to sure. transmit a message. So by breaking up into different literary genres, what I'm doing is I'm going, my voice that I want to come out of my work, am I best served by the vehicle of literary fiction, science fiction, or trans real fiction? And if the case is that I'm actually trying to get something to make a point more about the real life, the author of this manifesto is saying trans real should be explored as a vehicle that might make up for some shortcomings of literary and science fiction. That's an interesting argument. So you're trying to bring it closer to home in terms of what reality is as far as we know it. Closer to home, but still trying to bring an abstract concept into the work through representation of something that's not completely real. So I would, or I would, I would question, just out of interest, uh, how that draws borders with, let's say, the difference between like hard and soft science fiction. So hard and soft science fiction, isn't that based on uh, science as we know it? Yeah, yeah, it's based on... Uh, so hard science fiction would be more more grounded in traditional science. Soft science fiction would be more... Uh, hand wavy. Yeah, yeah, more more <laughs> fake, more... Well, yeah, more, more abstract, more... I'm not concerned with what is realistic today and what sounds realistic based on our current things as much as the science fiction of what I think the world could be like in the future... And it's also, you can define the difference, Han and Leia run down out of the Millennium Falcon, and they have oxygen-breathing apparati, <laughs> isn't this, that the right word? Whatever. On their uh, faces that help them breathe oxygen, because they're in space, right? Yeah, yeah. Because they're on an asteroid that's exposed to space, open space. But... Real science tells us that you're fucking all the pressure issues. You're going to be fucked if you don't have a suit on when you run down there. Sure. So in hard sci-fi, they'd have a whole fucking suit. In soft sci-fi, they say, we don't really care about that shit. Well, and even getting more abstract. Like, you can eventually reach a level, like, hard science fiction can exist in a vacuum where we think that this is inconceivable modernly, like... Yeah, they exist on the circumstances. Right. But it tries to ground itself on ideas that are plausible. Like, at no point do we ever make a statement that is literally, like... And I don't care a lot about this. I don't Neither care do a lot I. about hard versus soft science fiction. Um, man, this is a very interesting conversation that's taken a lot of twists and turns. So if I can introduce one more point and get your take on it, I think we can uh, bring it home. So, what I was thinking a whole, upon this whole trans-real thing, you know, like, my example of the blue line on the street, that would have been a minimal amount of fantasy 
injected in a useful way upon my real world, sure. allowing me to live trans real. So we don't need a phone to do that is what I was thinking though, because right now I can picture your head exploding. <laughs> And well, in, so, yeah, yeah. And in your mind's eye, you could picture me with glowing green eyes and elf ears. No, I, I'm not actually capable of that, Jordan. I'm different <laughs> from you in, in many ways, including that. But uh, you are correct in that, yeah, so maybe a lot of this might eventually just be like a implant that plugs into your brain that you install, like, upgrades to every once in a while. And But if you don't wait for the technology and you think of transrealism or AR as a philosophy of life... Could we start using our own mental processing to deal with life in a different way now? I mean, we probably do to a very lesser to a, degree. Probably a huge People extent. live fantasy lives all the time. Tyler's not here. Tyler went away. Tyler's gone. And to that argument, aren't we all living our own individual trans reality? I mean, trans game? might be irrelevant there. So using the imagination, though, as an AR tool, just like you would use your phone... Can you think of any useful applications where you could picture the real world as being different than it actually is and it help you? Yeah, and I can also think of terrifying, awful things give that me, happen. Give me one good and one terrifying. All right, so let's start off with the good. Let's start off with something really basic. Let's start off with I am just trying to figure out how certain mathematical... I'm, I'm in a classroom. I want to understand certain concepts or whatever. And uh, I just want to hold some piece of information that the professor said to the side. He erases it from the chalkboard. I hold it in my mental board over here. That's a, a fucking great idea. Yeah, <laughs> this is just one step removed. Like, just super yeah, simple. So just let's, like, let's say it's just one integer. Yeah, like, I just want to hold I just want to hold the previous equation. Let's just move this over here. And I'll look at it again later. And then, like, you know, so you're drawing your own chalkboard in your brain. Like, that's fine. Totally augmented reality. Totally reasonable. Nobody would object to this existing in real life as a thing. I mean, some people would object to your ability to take a picture of something and store it, whatever. Uh, that's some weird question we're going to evolve. And then on the evil side, or on the dangerous side, uh, I, you know what, on the previous argument, actually, let me just point out the cops thing, the cops situation. Mm -hmm. I would love for everything about a police officer to be observed at all times in all directions. So would I. Uh, and I think that the majority of society agrees, and the majority of good cops agree, in in the sense of, like, I don't want to hide anything. I yeah. just want to behave appropriately, and I just want to do the best I, job I can do, and I want the world to respect me for what I do, and I want that information to be spread. Um, and that, that sounds good to me. Uh, on the negative side, we're suddenly going to reach a world where suddenly everybody's fear of other people's interactions and other things, like, some people are awful to begin with, and so we're going to, like, not interact with each other, and we're going to create, like, walls about tons of different shit, and we're going to create fights over things that we shouldn't have fights over, because observation sort of, like, corners what people are going to do. So, suddenly you're going to have politicians, uh, anybody in any sort of power is going to just conceal themselves from the world the whole time. They don't want you to be able to record anything in an augmented way. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's what you're going for, though. That's That's the same as the good part, in the sense of, there are people that might be trying to do good by obfuscating information. What's well, their view of good? Yeah. Well, and they might even be right. They might even have good objectives that need to conceal information. Like, that's physically possible. Mm -hmm. To both have a good goal and also to want to conceal it. And that's the argument that you run into with some of these things. So, let me... One of the reasons I've been exploring this topic is 
I tried an exercise on myself. Sure. I have short temper with my kids. Sure. Probably comes from my military background. Orders are orders. Do what you're told. You know, <laughs> why, why can't my kids follow orders like yeah, other people yeah. did? Sounds reasonable. Some degree. But kids, if you've spent any time with them, don't follow orders for shit. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't. So I wanted to get a better handle on my short temper. Yeah. But I found out that the words kind of flowed out faster. Like once I started reacting to my short temper, the words were already starting to come out before I would catch myself. Yeah. So, We're slower than our brains. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a given. But I realized that over time I could f- kind of feel it coming because there was a physical response. You know, an irritated response. Yeah, yeah. Which associated with the short temper. So what I did was I, I thought to myself, all right, when I have that irritated response, I'm going to picture it in my imagination like there are uh, distortion waves around me that are growing. Like it, what you would see if there was a, geez, I don't know, a, a loud bass speaker, the way you would picture the air getting rippled by the sound wave. Interesting. Okay. So it's like, I would, so I associated, and this took many times, it took like four or five times, I would associate the feeling of whatever irritation, the blood pressure rising, with all of a sudden, in my mind's eye, and hence overlaid on top of the real world, I would see these distortion waves, and I would go, just don't say anything. You have an interesting argument here. Yeah. Some, uh... Some interesting augmented reality apps that like look at your physiology, look at your brain, and, and project into Feedback. your into yeah. into your into the interfaces that you are observing better. Like, so your brain probably is taking everything in. Yeah. But just making it more obvious to your brain, like showing these salutes of, "Hey, you're angry. The world around you is more red." Yeah, it get perfect. Like, like yeah, uh, everything starts getting red, and all of a sudden you go. Maybe I need to take a deep breath. <laughs> yeah, maybe I need to chill out. Like, maybe I'm too angry. And then, to go back to what I was talking about as far as the negatives and positives, as much as that sounds like a positive, and could very well usually be a positive, that amount of nuance could become a control mechanism that's negative to some degree if used and all these stuff. Well, I think you would have to go with results-driven behavior. Yeah, you, you, there's a whole lot of questions. There's yeah. a whole lot of thought. But and I, I want the individual to have some degree of control in what they're doing. Like, I want them to go, oh, shit, no, I am... Like, because we all have that moment. As adults, mm-hmm. the, the smarter we get, the more in control of ourselves we get, the, the, the better we get. Eventually, we do make mistakes like that. We're like, oh, my God, I'm reacting because I'm pissed off. Well, Because you a- pissed me off because of the way you started this this question while my fa- Like, let's say I have some family bullshit uh-huh. going on or whatever. Like, suddenly I'm shaking my fist and angry. And it's like, it's not your fault. Like and it's really hard to sometimes like calm yourself with like, no, it's not it's not it's not my boss or my coworker that's yeah. actually pissed me off. It's, it's actually that guy that cut me off in traffic two yeah. hours previously. Yeah, fuck that dude. But yeah. wouldn't some visual feedback be nice? You know, it could be. And this that, gets into a whole lot of extra extra augmented reality stuff that might eventually happen. Well, maybe we'll have to do a part two. <laughs> So in part two, Judge Dredd exists now, and now we're, like, all programmed and not object to judgment. And yeah. Well, it's interesting, too, and it'd be... I wonder how many people that listen to this, and both you and I going forward, how many times... Maybe we don't picture as vividly in our imagination 
a physical image, but I bet you we augment our reality all the time with storylines that we oh, think yeah. are true. Well, that's, and another that's, subject. Trans- that's another subject worth telling. That's another subject worth researching for people other than us that are actually researching things about uh, narratives we tell ourselves, the story around our lives, well, how that influences actions. I think these questions are incredibly important, especially as we are on... I don't understand, know if people realize, but virtual reality and AR, the head is coming down the birth canal. This I don't disagree with that. <laughs> you know, we That's better- an interesting choice of words, but yes, I... I think it's going to be slower than just a birth. I think it's going to be built. Like, we're going to build it bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. But well, it'll be born, then you put it in the incubu- incubator, you know, and then, yeah, you then we cook it a wash little bit. it off. Then we take it out for a little bit. We take it for a spin. It's all right. And Give then it we, some milk. <laughs> and we're like, oh, you're not that good. Let's take the other one. And yeah. I don't know. It, it could be interesting. Um, well, I think the point, though, that I was trying to make, and maybe I'm wrong, is that if there is a boon that's going to come from it, why wait for the technology on an individual life level? If no, we should take advantage of it. Um, yeah. At this point, we're almost in a terrible position where everyone should be climbing for the top because the people at the top are the only ones that are going to be, still be worth anything at some point in terms of economic ephemeralization and automation and machines. Like, yeah. uh, well, I think the goal should be to have an upper class... And that's it. <laughs> you know? Yeah, everyone should be part of the upper class. Yeah. Let's bring everyone together for that. But you fucking communist, Tony Heeman. I can't believe you. <laughs> Tony Heeman isn't communist or I'm capitalist. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Tony Heeman is killist. <laughs> that's what I always wanted to make a fucking t-shirt that said pro-death. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm not pro-life or pro-choice. Kill them all. <laughs> Keep killing, man. Um, Thanks, man, for taking the time out to talk about this. Do you want to tell anybody where they can find you on the internet? No! Fuck you! (laughs) Alright, I'll make up some trans real shit. We're being pulled, whether you know it or not, into a brave new world. Last night, I was watching the season opener of the NFL, the Denver Broncos, against the Carolina Panthers. This is one of mass marketing's biggest stages. And during one of the commercial breaks, what did I see a commercial for? Virtual reality. And the commercial was very deft at showing people of different genders, races, ages, what looked like all walks of life, trying out this product and being blown away. It was a simplistic scenario. They were sitting on a stool, and it revolved around some cell phone technology and some Oculus technology. But the point is, it's in the mainstream. It is breaking through. That head... Is coming down the birth canal, that beak is pecking away at the eggshell. Augmented reality is going to come right along with it. So these are very relevant, very pertinent questions and topics that we need to discuss. But as you heard in my conversation with Tony, to answer some of these questions and to dive deep into some of these topics, 
You don't have to, and you should not wait for technology because you are the technology. Two episodes back, I started the discussion about the power of our imagination. And that's really what this episode has been about too. Think of this in a way that you might not have thought of it before. The people that will be creating your virtual digital worlds and your augmented digital worlds will be using a digital effects studio, lots of tricks, lots of math, lots of graphics, lots of narrative storytelling, and lots of sound effects. But your own imagination is the digital effects studio in your head. And if you truly understand how to use it, you can augment your reality now. You can make images and sounds and storylines arise in your mind's eye. Never-ending creation and destruction is the nature of our imagination. We can conjure up images and they go. Conjure up those sounds and they go. But it's no less powerful, this internal digital effects studio, than anything that the video game industry or Hollywood can bring to bear. But you will not believe this is possible if you don't realize the fucking awesome power of your imagination. When's the last time you took it for a drive around the block? The answer may surprise you because you imagine shit all the time. You augment your reality all the time. That's what worrying is. That's what anticipation is. That's what reminiscing is. Even hope. All these things that aren't actually happening now. But you pepper your thoughts. You spray paint your mind's eye with these different things. But this kind of imaging is like putting a boot on a Ferrari. Or as I like to think of the mind, a self-driving Tesla. The imagination can do so much more. It can go to far off places. Maybe even reach into infinity. But to drive like this, you have to stop giving the imagination dumb shit to do. It is for this reason that we should choose to augment our reality ourselves. To illustrate the point, tell you a brief story. It's very much in lockstep with this thing I talked to Tony about, about trying to control my temper with my children. But it's not just with my children. It's with a lot of different people that I meet. It's with people I work with and strangers. That's a big one. I mean, come on. Have you ever made a snap judgment about a stranger in your own head? Have you ever seen a fat person and immediately thought, no self-control? Have you ever seen a woman walking with puffed up lips, big fake breasts, and thought, she's so vain? Have you ever seen a young man walking by, pants nearly falling off, underwear exposed, and thought, huh, what a waste of potential. Come on, pull your pants up. Get with it. Have you ever seen a big, fat, white businessman maybe smoking a cigar, maybe holding a nine iron and thought, what a prick. What a selfish, greedy prick. You're using your imagination to augment your reality. You're telling yourself a story. I'm not saying these exact examples is what I've done, but I rush to snap judgments, especially with strangers. But I came up with a new way to augment my reality. 
instead of falling on these default ploys of the mind to tell me this story about how the world's so fucked up, which is probably a big echo chamber of what I see in the media. I think a lot of people's thoughts are the echo chamber of what they hear on social media, the big news media, advertisements, the way other people want to augment your reality. Instead, maybe you can try what I tried. In some of the yoga systems, they talk about the different chakras. They give them names, they give them colors, they give them locations in the body. Without getting into too much detail, I just want to speak about one, the heart chakra, which many times is depicted as a green circle in the chest. That's where the heart chakra would live. But everyone has a heart. The big fat white businessman, the woman with the puffed up lips and fake tits, the young kid with his drawers hanging out. They all have hearts. They all have the same green circle glowing in their chest. So what I tried was to augment my reality by seeing that green glowing circle in everyone. And I mean literally picturing it in my mind's eye. And when I did that, everyone started to look the same. Regardless of even what they were saying, or how they were acting, or how they looked. It was actually quite beautiful. And I felt the judgment being leached out of me and replaced with a new view of every single person I saw. And then I imagined... Like I would walk through Walmart and I would see somebody and I would hear that snap judgment come in my head and then it would immediately be silenced by me looking at them and picturing a beautiful glowing green orb representing their heart and their soul right in the middle of their chest. And I couldn't help but smile. I took the augmentation of my reality a little bit further and I imagined, cheesy as it may sound, that there was kind of a heads-up display, a little circle in the bottom left-hand corner of my vision, the thing you would see in a first-person shooter video game to track friend and foe across the field of battle. You know, that little radar-like circle that has the different colors that represents friend and foe, except these little dots were all green dots. There was no separation. And... Even if I was just looking at one or two people, I would imagine that I was tracking everyone in the store that I was in. And those little green dots were their hearts. All the same. All worthy of my attention, my lack of judgment, and my love. So what I'm trying to get at, high filers, is that transrealism can be used as a philosophy of life. In fact, in many ways, it is our philosophy of life, even if you don't see it the same way Rucker saw it. But pretty soon, the very fundamental philosophical principles of transrealism will become a part of your life through someone else's design with these new technologies. So why not take a step before that happens and play with transrealism in your own life? using the digital effects studio that's in your head, whether that's through auditory cues, 
Visual cues or the simple plot line that ties your days together and keeps you getting out of bed in the morning. Can't we see that imaginary things have real-world results? That is the path. That is the Tao of Pokemon Go. You're all living it as an experiment right now, whether you play that particular game or not. You can see it. You can see its effects. You can see the results. But there may be some of you out there that listen to this whole thing, and thank you for staying till the end, that think this is a bunch of hooey and applesauce. A bunch of bullcrap. Transrealism as a philosophy of life, well, that sounds like you're a nut job. I would never do that. After all, I'm pragmatic. Except, have you ever thought about nuclear weaponry? Have you ever thought, it is important who the commander-in-chief is? After all, they have access to the button. But if you're one of those people who's pragmatic, a realist, yet have spent even one second of your life thinking that nuclear weapons are a serious issue, remind yourself, you have never seen the button. As far as you're concerned, this is science fiction that you've been fed. You've never seen a nuclear explosion. You've never seen a warhead. You most certainly have never seen the button. So aren't you already living someone else's trans-real vision in your life? Tyler's not here. Tyler went away. Tyler's gone. Stay tuned, iFilers. This journey continues, at least until someone pushes the button. Paul and Patty know this. No matter where they go or what they do, they always try to remember what to do if the atom bomb explodes right then. It's a bomb, duck and cover. Sundays, holidays, vacation time, we must be ready every day, all the time, to do the right thing if the atomic bomb explodes. Duck and cover. That's the first thing to do. Duck and cover. First, you duck. And then, you cover. You duck and cover tight. Duck and cover under the table. It's a bomb. Duck and cover. He did what we all must learn to do. You. And you. And you. And you. Duck and cover. Because they can't.